looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, it's a touchdown! And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, in an atmosphere of everyone holding themselves accountable, maybe I should go ahead and just go poly profess right here off the top and let you guys know that uh, I did call for a 40-burger last week. That was before the game. After the game, unfortunately for the Cardinals, it was Matthew Stafford who said that we should have had 40. And uh, that was the Lions quarterback and his bold statement based on what happens when you get three turnovers and what you should do with them as an offense as uh, yes, yours truly might have looked at the matchup and the losing streak by the Lions and the fact they lost their number one cover corner and uh, the road trip. All the above, uh, this is exactly why Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, that at least to me, you can never account for what happens out there when it comes to the intensity, the energy, the desperation. That's always the unknown factor. The factor that doesn't show up, Kyle in the numbers and the analytics. And to me, that was a factor in that game because I don't know if the Cardinals thought that all of a sudden the Lions were going to do what the Lions always do and hand them a game at the end of the game, but it obviously didn't happen. Well, the numbers that showed up were the three interceptions, and that's very tangible and easy to look at. So I think that was the big deal to me is Kyler Murray throwing those picks. I think they moved the ball pretty well, and everything looked fine except for those turnovers, and I think that's what really bit them. What else, Darren, what else sticks with you in that game that perhaps Cardinals might carry into this next game at Carolina? Well, I mean, if you're talking about something that they're going to carry into the next game, I think it's the realization that, um, you know, these are games, uh, given the opponents that they're playing, that they need to get. I mean, it's a it's a rough road to hoe the, the back half of the season and with uh, some of the, the teams in their division uh, clearly, as we've noted, the NFC West is the toughest division in football. Um, the Rams easily could be 3-0. and We know the Seahawks are 3-0. The 49ers are playing with, uh, you know, uh, duct tape and bailing wire and a couple of practice squad guys, and they're dominating teams. You know, granted, they're dominating the Giants and the Jets, but those were two road games, and they just wrapped them up pretty easy. So um, I, I think it's one of those things where – that's what they got to take out. They got they can't be missing out on opportunities. Um, they did so many good things, save for those turnovers, and they're, they're making mistakes. But I, I agree with Paul with uh, what Kyler Murray said after the game, which is if he doesn't throw those interceptions, I think they win. And I know it's easy to boil it down, and it's not nice necessarily to blame it on one guy. And I'm not necessarily just blaming it on Kyle or Kyler, but. Uh, or Kyle, for that matter. Um, but, you know, I, I think they're not that far away from being 3-0, and and I don't think you, everybody should just be freaking the heck out either. But they need to understand that they've got to play uh, much more uh, stable football to, to get to where they want to be, in my opinion. How about Corey Peters after the game, though? And he talks about how winning some of these close games can be a Band-Aid over issues that still need to be remedied and rectified Larry Fitzgerald going into the game saying there are holes in our own boat 
that we're going to have to deal with. Is it a matter of, of three interceptions, or do you think we can go a little deeper? For example, the fact the Cardinals don't have an interception through three games and only had seven a year ago, which was tied for fewest in the NFL. To what degree should virtually every unit be doing a little self-assessment going into these, this stretch of three road games, Kyle? I'm not worried about the interception thing. I mean, Chris Banjo has two, and both of them were wiped off the board due to penalties. So it's not like they haven't got their hands on the ball. And overall, the defense has been really good. They're ranked number seven in defensive efficiency by football outsiders. So I feel like the defense has played phenomenal and done a much better job than we were expecting. I think the passing game on offense has been the biggest issue, and that's my big question Kyler Murray with his legs is phenomenal, and you've obviously got DeAndre Hopkins, but if you're not average at passing the ball, you're not going to be a great offense. So I want to see them take that next step when it comes to throwing the ball, not just to Hopkins, but to everybody. How about this current iteration of the Cardinals defense, and namely the secondary, Darren, after you lose Chris Banjo, and now you're losing Buda Baker, after you lost Jalen Thompson to the IR, and our last image of the Cardinals defense was third string safety Curtis Riley missing a tackle and a receiver scooting up the far sideline into Cardinals territory and eventually setting up a game-winning field goal. Just the safety issue alone in the Cardinals defense, to what degree do you think that might trickle down? Well, I mean, look, it's a big deal to, to lose Buda Baker. I mean, here's a guy that um, his thumb was uh, messed up enough that we already knew he was going to have surgery, but he played. And, yeah, he started kind of slow those first couple plays. He had a missed tackle, and he had another one where he might have been able to get to it. But after that, he was spectacular, I thought, uh, the rest of the game, uh, making plays all over the place. You can't replace that. And you're, you're already in a situation where you were down your other starting safety. And I know we're going to get back into it later, but everybody talking about Isaiah Simmons potentially playing safety, and he might uh, – let's not get it twisted that they're, they're doing this because of injuries. It's not because they've decided Isaiah Simmons, that's his best place. It's out of necessity. So I, I think, I think there are some concerns about the back end. The Panthers uh, have been able to throw the ball a little bit. They don't have a lot of spectacular names and Teddy Bridgewater isn't the first guy you're going to think of in terms of a star quarterback in this league. But um you know, they, this is a game I think you need to win. You need to win this game on the road. You need to win at New York against a very bad Jets team, and you need to be 4-1. and one. Uh, And I think if anybody would have said 4-1 and one, uh, after five games, they would have taken it. I know it's a little different now when you're feeling like, okay, they gave one away to the Lions, but it does put their backs up against the wall. And I think defensively, um, you know, that front seven is really going to have to hold up even better than I think they've shown a lot, uh, you know, some of this time because of the safety issues. I mean, you don't think a lot about safeties until they're gone, Paul. I think that's how the old cliche goes, right? And, and, and you're right on the Buda Baker. He, he's sort of, when you talk about playing or working with a net, that's yeah. Buda Baker. Uh, yeah. You know, guys can miss a tackle in the box. There's Buda Baker. He, he's sort of what a great quarterback is to an offense, erasing a lot of weaknesses. Buda Baker can be to a defense. So that scares me. There, there's no doubt about that. And, and if we, let's just get right into it. I mean, if we're talking Isaiah Simmons, Kyle, in that secondary, we're not talking about a center field safety, are we? Out in space? We're talking about a box safety at the very least, wouldn't we? 
I would assume box safety. That makes more sense to me. He did play the center field role at Clemson as well, and he's obviously got the 4-4 speed to do it. So I could I could see them using him either way, but he's such a big guy, and box to me makes more sense, almost in that Cam Chancellor type role. I mean, he's not – I don't think he's as ferocious of a hitter as Cam Chancellor, but from a measurable standpoint, they're pretty similar, and there aren't a lot of safeties that are that big, but – if, if Isaiah Simmons can come anywhere close to that type of impact, then maybe all of a sudden safety makes more sense for him instead of inside linebacker. So it'll be interesting if he gets on the field, how he does. Well, if you're looking to get, ultimately, you're looking to get your best 11 athletes and or playmakers out on that field, Darren, on defense, that might be a way to get Isaiah Simmons out there. Because right now he's obviously not taking snaps away from Devondre Campbell. He's not taking snaps away from Jordan Hicks. And, and so far, he hasn't even been better as an edge rusher than Hassan Reddick. So I'm wondering, you know, because the Cardinals came out in that first game, the first series against the Niners, and Isaiah Simmons was one of the 11. What if you're going to still run that same group out there, just positioned a little differently? I think that's possible. Um, but I, I did think it was interesting that when Cliff Kingsbury talked about it originally, he said that was something they may do. He's certainly not locked into it. I think there's some fans who heard it and they're just assuming they're going to drop Isaiah Simmons in the starting lineup in place of Buda Baker, at least for one week. And I don't think that's really how this is necessarily going to work. Now they're in a tough spot in terms of safety right now. They're paper thin and I'm not sure what direction they're going to go. You mentioned Curtis Riley, who uh, looked like he struggled a little bit. Chris Banjo has got the hamstring injury, so we don't know what he's going to be able to do against the Panthers. If anything, uh, Jalen Thompson is still out. Uh, Deontay Thompson is a guy who, frankly, was low, so low on the depth chart that he wasn't even a factor if everybody's healthy. He's not playing. So uh, they've got to figure out some things. I, I think because of those issues, because of the injury issues, maybe Isaiah Simmons still does rank as one of the best 11. But I think we got to go back to your original point right now, Paul, which is given the inexperience – and given the learning curve and given that he doesn't really know exactly where he's going to be playing, um, is he still one of the best 11 uh, to be putting out there on the field? I think that's a fair question to ask. And I know the fans are going to be like, well, if he's not, Vance Joseph has screwed this up and they never had a plan for him, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I don't believe in that. I mean, we can go back to it. It's, it's obviously not apples to apples, but I mean, DJ Humphreys didn't play at all his rookie year and, and everybody said he was a complete bust. And I think he's turned into a pretty solid left tackle. Now he didn't play that first year because he wasn't ready to play and they had other options that made more sense. Um, if it's true, maybe Isaiah Simmons isn't ready this season. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Now, if you had a really bad football team and a really bad defense, I'm saying put them out there and let them sink or swim, just like they did with Byron Murphy last year, just like they, they've done with a couple other guys. But that's not where they are right now. And they are trying to get to a playoff spot. And they do have some pieces on defense. And the safety situation aside, maybe it's not Isaiah Simmons' time yet. Now, again, things can change this week. I'll, I'm incredibly curious to see what they do at safety this weekend. Assuming Buda Baker's not playing, they still haven't said that officially. And I saw one uh, former NFL doctor kind of pontificate on Twitter that in this situation, if you wanted to wrap up his hand really tight, he could see a scenario potentially where Buda could even play this week. I 
don't know if that'll oh. happen, but he could see it. That's interesting. You know, it's um, here's the thing. The coaches have to trust the player they're putting yeah. out there. And what we saw in that opener was a very smart and calculating Kyle Shanahan. And what did he do? He targeted the rookie. He said, we're going to try and isolate him in a matchup. We'll try and mess with his eyes. And boom, yeah, the Raheem Mostert 76-yarder. And then they targeted him a few other times. And we all know it's a game of matchups. And so the coaches are going to have to trust Isaiah. If you're saying, hey, you're just going to be out in zone coverage and they're going to keep it ultra simple, I could see that as a box safety, run force first, zone coverage second. Okay, that, that's plausible and doable, I think, to a certain degree, Kyle. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm real curious. And, you know what, honestly, when you cite DVOA, was that the metric, the analytic? on? That's great. And, obviously, <laughs> I'm not nearly as vested in, in the numbers as you are. All I know is I saw a defense that couldn't get off the field at the end of the game. And I saw a defense give up a scoring drive with 90 seconds to go in the first half. And good defenses don't do that. So, uh, in Jordan Phillips' words, I'm not ready to crown this Cardinals defense yet. That defense also did a really nice job when the Lions had a short field because of the interceptions and the one punt that they started at, like, the 36-yard line. They, they held stout on those. So, I think you look at it in aggregate, and I was impressed by what they did. Obviously, that, that last drive is going to stick in the craw of people. Um, but going back to Simmons, I feel like, yeah, there are the – worries about him and and what he can do mentally but at this point when you're talking about possibly using your fourth and fifth string safeties as your starters I think just because of the pure athleticism that Isaiah Simmons has and the length he can make up for problems with that natural ability when maybe some other guys at safety cannot so I, I feel like they at least want to try it and I do think playing safety might come more naturally to him than linebacker. I think he's done it more. I think he understands it better. And certainly in a new scheme, it's not a slam dunk that he'll know everything. But when you're that, when you're further away from the ball like that, I think it gives you a little bit more time to comprehend what's happening. And like you said, if he's playing zone or if he has a certain matchup, I'm not as worried about it as when he was at inside linebacker like Hassan Reddick, who never quite got it up there. I'm just wondering – do they line him up ever against a receiver? And can he handle it if he's going against a jitterbug receiver who's doing an out route and doing all these things laterally? Can Isaiah Simmons stick with something like that? Um, because he's got the straight line speed, but does he have that type of agility to hang with wide receivers one-on-one -on -one in man coverage? Because, and I didn't go back and look at the film, and I, I didn't track all the personnel groups, but it seemed to me, just watching from the front row, and you guys tell me that game against the Lions that, they used an abundance of two tight end sets. And they basically threw it to the tight end that Devondre Campbell wasn't covering. So I, I, I would not be surprised in a copycat league if Carolina employs something similar. I don't know what exactly how they're stocked and stacked with tight ends and what exactly their offensive philosophy is at this point under Matt Rule and, and the coordinator from LSU, et cetera. But, they, you know, Devondre Campbell was excellent, obviously, and then they went and found the matchups where he wasn't, and a, and a smart coordinator will do that. To me, a lot of these defensive issues, the injury issues, and whatever else we want to argue about on, on the defensive side just further illuminates how well Kyler has to play. Because have you seen Seattle's defense? It's horrendous. And it's, and, and, and it's banged up. They just lost their best pass rusher in Bruce Irvin and – they don't even have a pass rush to begin with. But what is happening? 
Russell Wilson is happening. And so obviously two totally different stages of their career. Russell Wilson, the odds on favorite, I would say right now, MVP, even though Patrick Mahomes is right on his heels. And, uh, and Aaron Rodgers probably has something to say about that. It's a big three right now. But Darren, I, this just further illuminates and illustrates how well Kyler's going to have to play because your margin of error on defense is getting razor thin. I would agree with that to an extent. I, I think, first of all, I think Kyler was always a key, even before any of your margin on defense was, was thin because this is a quarterback league. And if, as we saw Sunday, when your quarterback doesn't play well, there's a chance that um, you're going to lose even if you do everything else right, which the Cardinals didn't do everything else right. But they did a lot of stuff right. Um, and they played a team against a quarterback who didn't make any mistakes and did, ju- and did enough things to, to make it work. So, look, Kyler Murray, uh, he needs the, there needs to be a more consistent air game. I'm not sure really where that is right now. It, it, it felt very weird. Um, obviously, he and DeAndre Hopkins have worked out very well together already. Um, but there's been really no flow, true flow with Larry Fitzgerald. Um, the Christian Kirk never got off the ground before he got hurt. You're trying to work in Andy Isabella. Keyshawn Johnson comes back uh, from the COVID list, and all of a sudden Kyler's throwing a bunch of passes to him, and everybody is kind of shrugging their, their shoulders like, why, why are you doing it exactly this way? Especially when the very first time you threw it to Keyshawn, he was open and it hit him in the hands and it bounced away. And I'm not saying you throw away a guy because he makes one drop. Um, but they're just – to be honest, if we were going to have gotten to the end of any game and you would have said that it was going to rely on potentially throws to Keyshawn Johnson, everybody was like, what's going on here? And I understand that reaction. Um, and so I just think Kyler – Kyler needs to find some kind of rhythm throwing the ball. The Lions did a really nice job kind of hemming him in and not letting him scramble around. Um, I don't, you know, he wasn't pressured a ton per se, but he wasn't going to be able to get out and run and make things happen with his legs. And I don't know if he just wasn't ready for that part of it, but it's still, it's it's still a learning process for him, but you, you've got to have more consistent and better play from the guy that everybody was expecting huge things from this season. You know, I said it right after the game with Passion Wolf on the post game, and, and I've said it during this week, and I, it's probably the second thing I'm most curious to see on game day Sunday at Carolina after the safety position Isaiah Simmons would be, do they get a Honolulu blueprint of what Matt Patricia just did? Are you going to see that all over again? Which to me was basically the mush rush, which Kelvin Beecham told us on the Big Red Rage they were expecting. We're going to rush three or four. We're going to drop seven or eight. And we're going to make you read our defense and our coverages. And we're not going to let you get outside at times. They definitely used a spy, at least relying on what Ron Wolfley cited during the broadcast. And, I mean, think about it, Kyle. We've talked about this throughout the offseason. What happened last year in week three against Carolina? The two-high safety scheme. Keep everything in front. And that befuddled and baffled the Cardinals for a good month to six weeks. And then eventually they figured that out. And with the emergence of Kenyon Drake, they made some of that deep coverage pay with the run game. I think now the Cardinals face a similar pivot point where they got a game plan and a scheme in week three, they have to prove they can beat going forward. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And you look at Kyler Murray's natural arm talent, the the accuracy, the, the power he has with his arm. It's all great, but knowing that he just threw three interceptions and knowing that sitting in the pocket, they haven't had sterling results 
with him in the pocket going back to last year. So I think teams are going to say, hey, you have to prove that you guys can throw in rhythm from the pocket and beat us that way because Kyler Murray has shown that once he gets out and can start running, he's just going to gash a defense. So I definitely think that's going to be the plan until the Cardinals show that they can beat it. That being said, I do think Kyler Murray is due to break out in that type of situation. I think he's a better pocket passer than he's shown this season. And the the Carolina secondary is a little bit suspect. I think the pass blocking has been good. So I think his pocket has been solid. I, I feel like they're on track to have a breakout performance in this game. I think Kyler is going to light it up with his arm. And I said this as much too, Darren, is that if you're telling me Kyler is a problem, then I'm, I'm real confident about the rest of this season. The accuracy, the quick release, all that. But we did see him, did we not, stare down receivers, the interception by Jamie Collins that was intended for Fitz. And then if you're telling me that Andy Isabella was wide open on that final uh, heave on third down to Keyshawn Johnson into double coverage, and Andy is – so if he's not seen some of these things – that's about the only thing that I'm seeing that gives me concern with Kyler that I think he's going to have to address and or prove as a quarterback who's made 19 starts so far in the NFL. I, I agree, Paul, but I, I don't know if I go as far as concern. I mean, I mean, again, Kurt Warner against Carolina in 2007 or eight or nine, whatever year it was, throwing five interceptions in a home game. And this is Kurt Warner, won an MVP, won a Super Bowl. MVP. I mean, quarterbacks are going to have bad games. They're going to, they're going to have come out and they're, they're going to, it just won't be right from the jump. It's just like a, uh, an ace pitcher coming out and he doesn't have his stuff. And once in a while, you know, Randy Johnson lost the game. So, uh, and I'm not putting Kyler there yet. Um, but I mean, a great example was Monday night. Are we are we all ready to say how concerned we are about Lamar Jackson as a passer because he had one horrible game? Uh, I'm thinking most teams would pretty much like Lamar Jackson, even with the way he passes. So, you know, again, I, I want to see it be a pattern, and I don't see it being a pattern yet. It was not a good game. I thought he forced some things. Um, Andy Isabella was open on that last play. He did stare down fits. There were just some – it just it just felt off from jump. And so I'm not going to say concern. I'm going to right now say it's one bad game and we'll, we'll see what happens. And, you know, I, I like the Kurt Warner because remember what those Niner defenses used to try and do against Kurt Warner back in the day? They would always rush three, drop eight. Because Kurt was begging defenses to blitz him. Yeah. Because he, he loved to read and react and make the quick decision. And he know pre-snap who's going to be open if you're bringing numbers. And it was when you dropped eight that all of a sudden it became that much more difficult. So as a young quarterback, you know, I, I can only imagine how difficult that can be for Kyler. And, and, what, and that's just going to be part of the process that we're going to see, Kyle. The difference for me is that I feel like this offense is – a lot of quick hitting passes where it's wide receiver screen where there's only one read or a certain thing where you're getting it to your primary receiver and without much scanning of the field. And when he does have to drop back, I think that is something that has to be fine tuned a little bit where Kyler Murray reads the field and, and sees where players are going before and after the snap, because I think once he gets that, he's going to be very dynamic and hard to stop. Um, but against the lions, I think he, he didn't see it quite right on a few of those throws. And one was an interception. The other 
luckily for Kyler, the safety didn't come up with that ball right in the middle of the field there trying to get to Fitzgerald. So I think they're not going to turn the ball over a lot because that's the way Cliff Kingsbury has designed this offense. But on these plays, even if it's only 25% of the passes where Kyler Murray is putting the ball in danger because of the longer drop and more having to scan the field, that's going to keep the offense from reaching its full potential if it continues to happen. It was the Okuda interception. He called it user error, right? Where he threw the yeah. ball behind. I mean, that one was fine. He just – Hopkins was open, and he, he didn't throw – he threw it behind him, and that was the pick. The one where the safety almost got it, and then obviously the one to Fitz. Those, to me, were two pretty big um, errors when it comes to field vision. Because in that final drive – and by the way, the user error, it sort of reminded me of Josh Rosen once upon a time using the term buffering – terms only an 18 to 24 year old would use when he saw a zero blitz for the first time in Cardinals camp. And he said, buffering, uh, trying to decide what exactly to do with the football at that point, just brought a sort of a smile, just to sort of the age group on that one. But that final drive, Cardinals come out, Kenyon Drake, uh, it was DeAndre Hopkins on first down, got 12 yards. Kenyon Drake got 14 yards on a run. First down and 10 again, Kenyon Drake, a one yard run. And then you got the two shots to Keyshawn Johnson both incomplete. Cardinals come back to the sideline, and there was frustration. There's no doubt about it. You, you saw it. Guys, guys ramped up, and I think they were thinking they were going to get the ball back. They never did. But do you think there's a lesson learned there a little bit, Darren, that in that key situation, if you're Kyler, you're, you continue to target a DeAndre Hopkins, go to a Fitz in that situation, as opposed to a guy who missed the first two games and is your fifth or sixth string receiver? You know, again, as I said before, I was surprised it plays out there. But at the same time, it's like, okay, let's say Drake gets his one-yard run. Let's say you try and go back shoulder to Keyshawn, and it's incomplete like that ended up being. And I don't really – I haven't really looked at that play in particular. But on the, on the third down, if he sees Andy Isabella, which I'm – he didn't go to Keyshawn because I've got to go to Keyshawn. He obviously didn't see Andy Isabella, who was – Definitely wide open and had about two steps cutting across towards his own sideline. That would have been not only a first down, but that had a chance for some real yak yardage um, on that play, and, it's, and certainly would have kept the drive alive. If he, throw, if he sees him and they make that catch and they're able to continue on that drive, and let's, let's argue that they have enough momentum at that point that they go and score a touchdown and they win that game. Then all of a sudden he throws three picks and they win. Then all of a sudden, it's only one less target to Keyshawn Johnson, and they win that game. It, it, it just shows you yeah. how, how razor thin the outcome of this game was and, and how different we would be talking about it. I mean, if they go in, if they get in Andy Isabella there, they go in for a touchdown, they end up winning that game, they're going to end up with, I don't know, whatever it was. They would have had over 400 yards of offense. Kyler Murray would have had – Let's say, let's say Drake runs in that final touchdown. He still has three touchdowns he accounted for, Kyler Murray, even though he had the three picks. People are like, okay, even though Kyler Murray turned the ball over some, this is still a really good team. And I guess that's, that's where I, I, I keep pausing every time we get to the very specific things because you, how much it could be different just on that one play or those two plays. And I'm not even putting the first interception on him at all. His arm got yeah. hit. And honestly, and we probably disagree on this, Darren, uh, but Dan Arnold, I know the ball was wobbling, but you get both hands on it, and it wasn't exactly a laser beam. And we've seen Dan Arnold make ridiculous catches in camp. So uh, to me, that was not on Kyler at all. 
I, 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 I don't think it's on him when he gets hit. Uh, I'm not – it would have been nice if Dan Arnold comes up with that, but I know – but I'm also thinking in the context of the game, when you're going and you see his arm coming your way and you're, you're expecting a certain velocity on that pass and it's not there because his hand's hit and it's fluttering, that's an awful – that's a quick-ass way to have to turn around and make that catch. Again, I don't uh, – does, does Dan Arnold – does Rob Gronkowski make that catch? Does – any of the great tight ends make that catch, perhaps. I mean, I think uh, as long as we're talking about Dan Arnold, I love the Dan Arnold story. Um, but, again, when we talked about before the season what kind of year he would have, and I'd have all these people saying fantasy-wise, what is Dan Arnold going to do? And I was like, well, let's – I kind of want to see what's going to happen with Dan Arnold before we get too over our skis. And I, I think you're kind of seeing the transition to what they would like him to be and what he might be at this point. So – Again, I, I see what you're saying. I agree with you. I, I'm not putting that on Kyler. He can't stare down receivers. I, I just – he had a bad game. And, and, I, and I agree with Kyle. I think he's in a position where he can have a nice bounce back game. I don't think he's going to have another game like that the next two weeks by any stretch of the imagination. No crowd. Um, I think he's going to be anxious to get out there and show people um, what he's able to do because I think we, we can sit here and – uh, criticize it all we want. Um, there's nobody who's more angry at Kyler Murray right now than Kyler Murray after what he did. Yeah, there's one thing we know about the coach and the quarterback. They're grinders and they're ultra competitive. So, you know, and, and, and as for what the Lions did, Matt Patricia wouldn't answer that question. He said, and I quote, I probably should keep that philosophy to ourselves. And then, Matt, and then Matthew Stafford did make the comment about how the D played outstanding, getting them three turnovers we should have scored 40. You asked Kyler, and, and a couple of those were gifts, as you mentioned, user error. So uh, what is undeniable is DeAndre Hopkins, Kyle. And 10 catches, another 100-plus yard game, leads the NFL in both receptions and receiving yards. And, and honestly, you get the sense, at least I do, they're not completely in sync. It, it may be far from it, and they're still ultra-productive. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was going to be a more balanced offense this season. You knew that DeAndre Hopkins was going to be your number one receiver, but I didn't think it was going to be DeAndre Hopkins and then falling off a cliff and then your number twos through four. It's been – but you see him on the field. I mean, you get the ball in his hands. He's slithery. He's got great hands when he's getting contested catches. He runs such great routes that he has separation. It's everything you want, and – I think teams are going to really bracket him moving forward and try to keep him under control and make other guys prove it. And I think the Cardinals have the talent to do it. Like we talked about last week, I think those other guys will have big games, but if, if teams keep allowing Deandre Hopkins, the easy catches, they're certainly going to keep throwing it to him. You know, on game plan, Cliff Kingsbury's TV show this week, I asked him, has anything surprised you? Because to me, his yards after catch, is very impressive. We, we know, the hands we know is you know, the way he competes for the football. And, and Kingsbury agreed with that. He said, yeah, he, he really has an innate sense of where to go and how to run with the football after the catch. You know, Darren, and I, do, I don't do this lightly, and it's not the same fashion, but it's the same productivity and effectiveness to me of an Anquan Bolden. How many times did Anquan Bolden take the short catch in the flat and then, boom, just make something out of nothing and make – before you know it, he's made anywhere from three to a half dozen guys miss, and he's got you a first down. That, it's In that fashion, it's sort of a similar approach to the receiver position that 
DeAndre Hopkins has to Anquan Bold without the ferocity, perhaps, and the physicality that Q had back in the day. I, I can see that. I, I think that's a fair uh, a fair assessment. I mean, even even if we go back to the Todd Haley, Larry Fitzgerald, hey, Mr. One Trick Pony, you know, you could be so much better and and take your game to a whole nother level if you just were willing to be a little more physical and get those yards after the catch, which he learned. And I think with DeAndre Hopkins, what really strikes me, and this is not a surprise, he was a three-time All-Pro before he ever got here. But it's so weird that, you know, there have been some uh, Hall of Fame-type receivers here between Fitz and Anquan um, that we've watched uh, grow from the ground up because they both showed up as rookies. And whereas this guy, he, they drop him in, and he's a finished product. And I've seen DeAndre Hopkins play on a handful of national TV games, but because he's in the AFC and because it was the Texans, I didn't see him a ton. So watching him all the time now is still kind of new to me. And yet again, finished product. And you can see it. You can see, you, you can see everything he does well, quite frankly, all these talks about, you know, how he doesn't practice a lot. And as we've seen since he didn't practice a ton in training camp at all, uh, and then we got to the regular season and he takes every Wednesday off. And yet I understand it now because the dude shows up on Sundays and he is uber productive and who cares? And I think we've talked about it before and I just want to uh, state for the record. Uh, I'm thinking probably nobody even remembers this, but me. So I'm probably stupid for even bringing it up on these podcast airwaves. But uh, I, I feel like at one point I even said I could see a scenario because they were so deep at receiver that, Nobody got a thousand yards, including DeAndre Hopkins. And damn, do I sound really, really stupid. He's going to do it after seven games. I know. <laughs> He'll have it by the, uh, by the bye week. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> then again, does that make this Cardinals offense a little too predictable, Kyle? Is, is, I mean, what are you thinking right now? If indeed you're Matt Rule and you're that Carolina defense, are, you know, among things you're going to make the Cardinals offense prove, I'm guessing that you're going to pull a Belichick at this point and take away what the Cardinals do best and then have them go from there. I don't know what Matt Patricia, what his plan was, because he's a Belichick guy, obviously. So I don't know what he probably assessed Kyler. We take away Kyler's running based on what we saw the first two weeks. And let's see how the Cardinals can adapt from there. I'm guessing now if, if you can take away Kyler's running and then you're going to bracket DeAndre Hopkins, you know, that'll be quite a double barrel challenge for the Cardinals offense. And maybe that is the hard part for a defensive coordinator, because as you say that, you're kind of running out of players to do all this stuff. If you're trying to, if you ever spy Kyler Murray, you can't bracket DeAndre Hopkins. Um, but I think, I think it it might happen. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins has been so good for three games that you might want others to prove it. And I just wonder with the way Andy Isabella played, I mean, are teams comfortable playing him one-on-one? -on -one? Because I feel like with the strides he's taken, it's going to be tough to stop him one-on-one -on, -one on deep routes if if you are shading that safety over to Hopkins. But it, it's not, like we've talked about, it's it's so imbalanced right now with Hopkins and everybody else that maybe teams do start playing the Cardinals differently. I'm guessing defensive coordinators assume the same as us, where Hopkins would get his targets, but so would Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. And it and the and the running game would be efficient, and it it's really been such heavy Hopkins and Kyler Murray that is this the real Cardinals offense or is this just a small sample size? You know, just like a week ago, 
we talked about maybe the more impressive play for it wasn't the 54 yarder to Andy Isabella. It was the slant, the quick slant where he opened up the hips and he made the can catch with his hands behind him. I like the four yard touchdown and the fact he got off the press. It wasn't a classic complete in your face press, but there was physicality and the DB was at the line of scrimmage and he got off that and got into space and left that guy because in the dust. And that wasn't always the case last year at five, nine, a buck 80 something. It was, he had to, you know, learn that ability to get off these physical NFL corners. And so I, I like that a lot. What, what is interesting, and you guys mentioned Carolina, is Cardinals go on the road. And I don't know what it's like from the press box, but there is zero, and I mean zero, home field advantage. You can try and replicate things with your Jumbotron and the game ops and some of the sound effects. But, and I almost asked this of Cliff Kingsbury, and then we ran out of time, probably thankfully for, for my sake. But the fact there were no fans in the stands, and no NFL coach is going to use that as an excuse or cite that. But there was nothing to feed off, Darren. There was nothing for the – if the Cardinals came out a little bit flat and if they maybe expected the Lions to implode like the Lions had done the 11 previous games to some degree at some point during the game, and then all of a sudden the fans could maybe get them back into the game and refocus them and give, give them a boost, none of that existed. If there the were Cardinals fans, Paul. You know, there were fans there. Right. Well, that's – that, that's evidence enough because how many guys turned around looking for the fans and all they saw was Paulie Pencilneck in the front row? I mean, that's beyond disappointing. Maybe that was the deflating factor. Maybe that's why they were flat in the game. I'm not exactly sure. But, I mean, you go on the road and it's, you might as well be playing these in the bubble, the NBA style, because yeah. there, there's zero atmosphere and zero advantage. No, I, w- I would agree. And, and even, I mean, even at home, I mean – with, with what happened, you know, I, I had my sons happen to be at the Lions game and you, you get a group of family and friends that aren't probably the, the most vocal people of all time because they're watching it for different reasons than most fans are and so it wouldn't make a huge difference. I, I don't know. I, I'm very curious to know and I don't know what the Carolina rules are right now. That's the other problem too is we're going to be going to all these places. If we go to New York, we know there's going to be no fans or New Jersey. But uh, all these other places – it's been all kind of hit and miss on whether there's going to be a handful of people in the stands or not. So I don't know exactly what's happening in Carolina. I haven't looked at that recently. And, and now that we've got the, uh, the most recent COVID situation with the Tennessee Titans and how that may or may not impact the NFL going forward. I mean, I think everything's going to get a little bit more uh, scrutinized a little bit more. And um, I think that really, gets ratcheted up. I mean, I think it was really easy over the first few weeks to kind of forget where we are as a society because the NFL was able to make this work so well and props the NHL for getting through their entire season, back half of the season and their championship uh, without any problems. And the NBA is about to do the same thing and baseball's made it to their playoffs and the NFL can only keep hoping, but then stuff might like Tennessee might happen. And then all of a sudden you kind of, okay, hold on one second here. And I think things might get tightened up a little bit more. It'll be interesting to see what all happens there. But I agree with you, Paul. I mean, it's – the reality is, is this is an emotional game, perhaps more than any other sport. And uh, to not have that, to be able to not be able to draw on that, I do think is going to make an impact. And we've seen it in the NBA. There is no home court advantage. Obviously, they're playing on a neutral court all the time anyways. But I don't think – uh, for those who are following the NBA, do I think the Nuggets 
make it to the Western Conference Finals, come back down 3-1 twice in a row, if they were actually playing road games? I absolutely do not. I absolutely think the NBA would have played out differently. So I do think that this is a season, as we said before, that could be really weird. Although right now, I don't know who's beating the Chiefs, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and so this could be weird, and it goes back to what you said. There's no home field advantage really to speak of. Do you see, by the way, any of the headlines on the back pages of the New York Post and the Jets and Giants, who are both 0-3 right now? There was one on Monday morning after they both got blown out, and there was a split screen on the back page. There was a shot of Darnold and a shot of Daniel Jones, and the headline screamed, three and doubt. That was the headline. Instead of three and out, three and doubt. And then there was another like sub-headline about they deserve the booing that didn't exist. And so it was – anyway, that was that – was but <laughs> – Here's my segue, Kyle, to you. The other thing we're not hearing, along with fans, is the name Chandler Jones being called. I asked Pasha Wolf in the postgame, I said, I don't think you guys called Chandler Jones' name once the entire game. And I asked Cliff Kingsbury on his TV show, and he sort of cut me off in mid-question and said he's getting more attention than ever. He's, been tre- he's being treated like the elite pass rusher he is, and it's opening up things for other guys. What do you have to add to that? What, what do you, where do you think this goes? Is this, is this something we're going to have to get used to the rest of the year, just an absence of Chandler Jones' big plays? Yeah, I mean, one sack in three games, regardless of the attention. I mean, if you're an elite edge rusher, you certainly want to have a bigger impact than that, even if teams are chipping you or, or double teaming you. So I feel like I'm sure he wants to improve. I do think Hassan Reddick has been a – very pleasant surprise. I think Devon Kennard has been better than I thought he would be. Uh, Corey Peters has been really good in the pass rush, which you're not really counting on. So other guys have certainly picked up the slack. And I don't think the pass rush has been a humongous issue. I do think late against Detroit, it wasn't as prevalent as it needed to be. And I think the Detroit passing game got in a really nice rhythm. Um, But yeah, I do feel like Chandler Jones needs to get to that level in order for the Cardinals defense to really reach its potential because he is their best pass rusher. He's the guy when he gets back there, he gets a lot of forced fumbles, the strip sacks. A lot of times he recovers it himself. So I think he just has that knack for big plays and we'll see if, if those other guys continue to perform teams are going to have to make sure that they're stopping everybody and not just Chandler Jones. So we'll see how it goes, but I do feel like this is a good opportunity this week against the Panthers team that has thrown it deep a decent amount. They, they have gotten a, a nice number of chunk plays. So I think if the Cardinals can get ahead and get Chandler Jones rolling, that's obviously going to help them a lot. And then also those other guys continuing to do what they've done. And if you want the matchup of the game to me, just early in the process here, you look at that left tackle position for the Carolina Panthers, and it's a three-headed platoon right now. Russell Okun's been dealing with a groin injury. They rotated three different guys in against Joey Bosa and the Chargers. All of them struggled with four Gs in there, the two backups and Trent Scott and Greg Little. So this would be a great week for Chandler Jones. And you know what? Two years ago, Darren, if you think about it, it was week four against the Niners – where, remember Chandler had put on a little extra weight. It was in Steve Wilkes' defense. And then he realized, you know what? This isn't working so well. And he shed the weight. And I think it was the week four where he had the breakout game at the 49ers. Might have been week five. And he had a big game. I still remember doing the postgame interview in the locker room. 
So it's a different circumstance, a different situation. He's not losing any weights. He's not changing his body composition. But I do wonder if, if maybe in the current iteration of this defense that they're trying to figure out how to unlock Chandler Jones. And if it happens at Carolina, that would be great to see, obviously. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had two four-sack games last year, and that was a big – uh, boost towards his sack total. I mean, that's eight of his 19 sacks. And obviously you take those away. He still has 11 sacks. It's a very nice season. I feel like it's still kind of early. I do agree with Kyle. There's been other pass rushers uh, that have gotten, I mean, Jordan Phillips has two sacks already. I mean, they're, they're getting the sacks. I think some of the time they're getting the pressure. Uh, unfortunately, I think what we're remembering is that last drive when you're assuming Matthew Stafford's going to be throwing a lot and they, couldn't seem to get enough pressure, although he was getting the ball off so fast. Clearly Vance Joseph saw it because they kept trying to blitz and it was not getting anywhere. Um, so you're going to need to have guys hold up on the back end so to give them a little bit of time. But I don't – I'm not worried about Chandler Jones right now. Again, going into the Lions game, I don't know what the numbers are right now, but going into the Lions game, he had six quarterback hits in two games even though he had the one sack. He was getting pressure. He just wasn't getting the sacks. And I don't want to get over – overly reliant on that one stat it would be nice for him to go crazy and I know we're all talking about you know records and stuff and I just don't know if that's was ever that realistic knowing what teams were going to be doing but uh I think I think they're going to be okay now if we get to mid-season he's got one sack or two sacks that would be a little bit concerning because you're counting on him to produce but right now that's not where we are and the Cardinals did have four sacks in the game it might not have felt like it completely but Corey Peters and Jordan Phillips and and Devon Kennard and Hassan Reddick all had sacks so if you can get Chandler untracked then guess what it, it, it's a more dynamic pass rush than it has been in the past few years because there are more guys getting home right now you just have to see if you can make that pay off for you and you're going to see an experienced guy in Teddy Bridgewater it's not going to be a Dwayne Haskins you're going to see a Teddy Bridgewater coming up in this matchup and if he's going to try and take a page out of Matthew Stafford's playbook, yeah, Darren's right. He's going to be getting rid of the ball quick and, and forcing the Cardinals to tackle, especially if they're minus Buda Baker. Yeah, I think that's a big key, and that's a, a great point, that Matthew Stafford was not waiting around to throw that ball. It was, it was very quick in the majority of those snaps. So a lot of it is on, on the secondary. And I think Dre Kirkpatrick and Byron Murphy had some issues in pass coverage against the Lions, and that was – the best wide receiver group that they had seen. So you, you want them to bounce back. But I think the Panthers have some underrated guys. They don't have huge name recognition players, but Robbie Anderson and, and DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel are all decent receivers. So it is a test for that secondary, especially knowing, like we've talked about, you don't have the uh, Band-Aid and Buda Baker to help out with a lot of different things. So there's more going to be on – Byron Murphy and Drake Kirkpatrick to really lock down their guys without that help. Wait, Kyle, are you, are you coming up with a nickname for Buddha now? Buddha, the band-aid Baker. Is that what you're calling him now? We'll see after this week. It might be pretty glaring after him, not on the field. <laughs> it was pretty amazing though. I mean, how could you not think with the Cardinals wearing the number eight on their Jersey in honor of the late great Larry Wilson, and the famous legendary epic story of him making an interception with two casts on his hands. And there's Buddha rocking the massive thumb splint all wrapped up. And then he's on the sideline getting the other hand looked at. And you're just wondering, okay, is this going to be, you know, the first game 
without Larry Wilson and wearing the patch, he would have been out there. And, uh, and he actually did get his – he actually injured the left hand, getting his hands on a, on a laser beam of a pass for Matthew Stafford. Wasn't that – that's how it happened, right? I'd assume so. I mean, that yeah. was a bullet and he dove. So he, he almost had that pick too. That was a nice play. Well, here's the thing, Darren. You're going to Carolina. I'm going to Carolina. And uh, there's history in that stadium. Last time in that stadium, that was the NFC Championship game, right? That was the last trip to Carolina, wasn't it? Uh, was it? I they played them the next year. They did play them the next year. That's right. Mm, okay. I just remember the – I mean, obviously remember the NFC Championship game. Remember the playoff game with Ryan Lindley? Remember yeah, I was the playoff, the, the playoff win, obviously, in the 2008 run. I mean, there, there have been some memor- – for a nondescript, dare I say, franchise and stadium, there have been some pretty memorable games in Cardinals history at that location. I actually like that stadium. I like that city. I like that city a lot better when I'm able to go out in it and do stuff, but uh, that's not a bad city. I'm going to have to you – have, you have your tracer on, Darren. Just remember that. We, we're going to know where you're at in, in, in Charlotte. We're going to know exactly where you're at at all times. You better be wearing that contact tracer. Well, I'm just – I'm just again, I'm hoping with uh, the most recent stuff that's happened with Tennessee and the Titans that things don't get locked down even further than they already are. All right, what else is out there, Kyle? Anything, anything, any other numbers, any other DVOA, HOA numbers? What about the HOA? How's your HOA doing, Kyle? How's that going? <laughs> My HOA is good. They don't bother me too much, but they keep the houses uh, looking good, the front yard, so I'm happy with the HOA. <laughs> you haven't had any weed violations or anything recently? No? No. Uh, a year or two ago, I got busted for not bringing my trash can in fast enough one day, but they were sticklers about it that week. So yeah, what, I, what about the appealed. What, what about the war, the weeds above replacement? I mean, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> you know what? You tell Hanran down the street to stop reporting you for the stinking garbage can. Are you you're busy. It's football season. You're going seven days a week. Seriously. That's out of line. That's, uh, you know. You know what I saw? I'm going to leave you with this, and this is no joke. A month ago, I go rolling the old recycling can out to the sidewalk right at dusk so, you know, it's dark enough. And, I, and three houses down, a neighbor comes out, literally looks around, all suspicious, like walks down, everything except tiptoeing, walks down one house and drops his recyclables, apparently his was full, into somebody else's receptacle. I'm like, well, now wait a minute, that's an HOA foul right there. Come on. Did you report him, Paul? I was going to tell our neighbor, because I know the neighbor within whom's receptacle, those, you know, and, they, and, and the wife said, no, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> Don't create neighborhood drama. Don't do it. Come on. You know. I mean, if the recycle can is already out there, what's the harm in adding to it if it's just going to get picked up? I can see if it's already been emptied, but if it's out there full, I, I, I feel like no harm, no foul there. Not that I do it, but. What do you think that because, uh, I, I brought in the garbage can last week. No joke. And the can, it was, the lid was open. And I looked down and there was a big tall can of beer, like the 48 ounce can of beer. And, the, and I'm like, who, who just polished off a 48 ounce can of beer <laughs> at one in the afternoon on a Wednesday. I'm like, who's your, that guy? Your, your son is homeschooling, correct? <laughs> no, stop it. That's not cool. That's, a, that's it. You know what? I'm going to go check on him right now, actually. So that'll do it for Cards Underground. <laughs>